This is the I Make a Living podcast, brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. We know this is a challenging time for entrepreneurs, and your business may be completely upended by this pandemic. And FreshBooks and I will be here for you as a resource and a community to help you stay connected. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who is in the middle of a big transition. With a truncated work schedule, now that I'm also homeschooling two kids, I've been reminded about the importance of goal setting and focusing on the actions that I can take today to make my life feel more under control. A lot of us are going to have to build back up after this pandemic, and I want to be as prepared as possible for the next chapter of my business, whatever that may be. Our guest for today, Michael Cass, is the founder of Story and Spirit. He's passionate about helping people reconnect with themselves, each other, and the wider world so that they can participate in their lives and communities with greater clarity and purpose. He offers coaching and storytelling workshops to help businesses and individuals transform. What does that mean? Here's Michael describing his business and how he himself transformed his life after escaping a deep depression. So I'll start broadly with what I do, which is I work with individuals and organizations to help them reconnect and harness the power of story to create change. And by change, usually what I mean is a more just, equitable, and viable world for all beings, not just humans. So that's like a really big idea. And where it started was I was about eight years old, and I only remembered this a couple of years ago, but uh, I was reading a book of fairy tales, and this question popped into my head, which was all these fairy tales had to do with kings and like really, really special people. And I just remember thinking, well, what about the normal people? What about people like me? Where, where are our stories? Why are all of these stories about the most remarkable people in the most remarkable places where the great majority of us are not necessarily that? We're just people going about our lives. And I went up and I, I remember going to my parents and saying like, hey, where are the stories about like the peasants? I was eight. I don't know why I knew the word peasants, but I fact checked this with my parents. And they said, what do you mean? And I sort of went into everything I just told you and they, they smiled and nodded. And then they like sent me to science camp for the next three summers. Just, and I forgot all about that deep curiosity about the stories of just regular everyday people going about their lives. And over the next mm, 30 years, this tension developed in my life between a very, very um, pronounced creative side. And then the other side was the side that believed that I could never make any kind of living from any kind of creativity. And eventually the tension between those two sides, the creative side and the uh, skeptical side and the fearful side became really, really uncomfortable mm. when I hit about 35 to the point that it, it kind of brought me to my knees and I couldn't function. It got to the point where I was on the couch and friends had to come over and cook for me and clean for me because I couldn't quite manage so in that state, one day, I remember walking from my office. I was a financial management consultant at the time for nonprofits, and it was raining, and I had an umbrella, but I wasn't using it because I was like, I don't even deserve an umbrella. It's too much energy to put this umbrella up. <laughs> and I heard this voice as I was walking through downtown from behind me go, hey, man, what did you accomplish today? And normally, voices on the street, you ignore them. 
right? But this, this one- This is an actual voice. This is an actual voice. <laughs> an it's not in voice. my head. It's a person. Um, and I would normally ignore it, but that, like, that question was so perfect. For that moment, it just cut through all of my self-loathing and like all of the depression and everywhere I was. And I turned to face him and I just looked at him and I didn't have any energy to be anything but completely honest. And I went, absolutely nothing, man. And he lit up and he went, yeah, I could tell. And we proceeded to have one of the deepest conversations I'd had in years. Standing there in the rain. Standing there in the rain. And he, he looked rough, like he'd been living on the streets. And he told me, you know, about his story. He hadn't always lived on the streets and he'd battled with addiction and he could get a job, but did he really want one? And I told him about my story, which was like, I'm, I'm just sad right now. I don't know what to do. And that story that he told me made me realize like in that moment, despite the fact that he was living on the streets and I had an apartment and a job, like he had hope in that moment. And I didn't, like I was tapped out. And that was the moment that really kind of set me off on this different trajectory. And so within the next two months, I pulled the plug essentially on my career, my life, my whatever, and went down to South America and worked with healers down there and, and went on kind of a journey of spiritual realignment because the story I'd been living out in the world did not fit at all the story that I felt inside, the story that wanted to emerge. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this right now are saying that resonates for me. My story internally is not what I'm doing right now. Or I have this dream of starting a business or growing my business, but the story that I see in the real world every day doesn't match up. Yep. When you're facilitating workshops, when you're coaching people, what do you say to people about the first step to start to rewrite that story for themselves? Totally. It depends on the person. So some people... For me, I was in such a state that the only way I could start that process was to go extreme. That's why I had to pull the plug on everything and essentially dump my life out and start over. If you catch it earlier before you get to crisis, it can be as simple as really sitting with yourself and asking, what is the story that wants to live through me? It can be as simple as taking three deep breaths and saying, when do I feel most aligned? Because we tend to attune to the places where we feel most out of alignment right? Oh, I'm miserable here. This isn't working. That isn't working. I don't know what to do here. And so the question I ask a lot of people I work with is, what if you attune to the places where you do feel aligned, even if it's just small? And then once you've done that, then the next question is, great, what can I do today to start creating more of that feeling and less of the feeling of misalignment, even if it's small? Do you believe that everyone can have a job that is in alignment with their passion or should? <laughs> Two different questions. Yeah. I believe they can. I don't believe they need to. So for example, I was working with a guy recently who came to me and he was saying, you know, I don't feel like my job is, is aligned with my purpose. I need to get a better job. My career needs to shift. I'm like, okay. And we did some work and really going deep and uncovering what that deeper purpose was. And it ended up that it was all around his family and all around raising kids. And what came out of that was, oh, you know what? As long as my job, what I do for money, supports that purpose, then it's aligned, right? I don't need to go out there and save the world. I don't need to feel like every moment at my job is profoundly moving. As long as it's fine and I'm not hurting anyone and it allows me the time, space, and means to support my family, I'm good. So for him, having a, essentially a support job is great because it gives him the space 
to raise his family. I think that's hard for a lot of people, though, because when you've been living a particular story, you've been living your life in a certain way. I know when I left my corporate media job, I had been doing that my entire life. And I just didn't even know a different way to exist for a long time. It took me a really long time um, after I started my dating coaching business to really accept that I had made this career shift. What would you say say to me, me, you know, nine years ago as I'm in that transition and how do you, how do you work through the, that, the sticky parts of that dissonance between what I thought I was going to be and do with my life and now this new venture that is calling me? So it's an even bigger question than that. Because if you think about the magnitude of what you actually did when you made that shift, is it wasn't just, oh, this story that you'd been living. It's everything you'd been taught through your entire life. Because if you are living in our culture and you've gone through the education system and through college, you've been sold a certain myth and story about what your life wants to look like, right? You excel, you get good grades, you get a good job, you buy your house, you do the thing, and then you'll be fulfilled because you're, you know, whatever. You are that image of success. So it's not just that you're rewriting your own story. It's actually a profoundly revolutionary act to do that because you're saying to all of that structure and all of that inertia that led you to that point where you were nine years ago, you're saying, I don't buy it even in a small way, like that may be the story you told me, but there's a different story that I need to tell. And so what I would tell nine years ago, you is like, you're doing it. You're doing so great. And also be so, so gentle with yourself because what you're doing is so hard. And so even if you're only able to make small shifts at first and drive a little wedge in the door, then slowly that door will open more and more and more until nine years later, you've created a whole new life for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it you need that distance from it to be able yeah. to even see how far you've come. And you've come a long way in your journey. After you went through your, your spiritual transformation, after you left your job at that time, were you thinking, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? I'm going to start a business? Did you have any five-year plan, 10-year plan? And when did you start to really hone in on what this new venture would be for yourself? No, I had no idea. If you had asked me seven years ago uh, if some of the stuff I'm doing now would be a thing, it wouldn't have even been on my radar. There's no way I could have predicted a lot of the things I do now. I only recently started embracing the term entrepreneur because I never thought of myself that way. Because in my mind, I'm still like figuring stuff out. And it's fascinating because I get calls a couple times a week now saying like, Michael, can I take you to coffee? How did you do it? How did you build this thing? And I'm like, I, I'm st- it's still building I don't know. And I found that every time, and this is, I wouldn't say that this is like wisdom I'd pass on to anyone, but every time I try to make a five-year plan, immediately it just crumbles. <laughs> what, since you had such a strong reaction to the word entrepreneur, what does entrepreneur look like to you? What does that mean? So I'll answer two questions with that one question. The first is like, what is my version of it? And the second is, what are the connotations? Like, what is the story that I put on the word? I'll do that one first. So the story I put on the word and why I had such such a strong reaction was like, it's kind of like the guy who goes into the room and he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm going to sell you a thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hustle and I've got to work all the time, 24, 7, 12 days a week so that I could get a foothold and beat the competition. 
is kind of the image of the entrepreneur. My <laughs> I mind. feel like I know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're in Los Angeles. We all know right. that guy um, or that lady. And, and I don't want to be that guy. I mean, for me, what entrepreneurship looks like is the ability to craft a life that feels both spacious and of service and is able to support me. And that's it, right? And so that spaciousness is really, really important. I just hired a new assistant and she's like, so I'm available at weird hours because I, you know, help run a farm and do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not available at weird hours. It's actually really, really important to me to have space to do things like read and be human and hug trees because who doesn't love hugging <laughs> trees? So my version of entrepreneurship is not that kind of standard, maybe Silicon Valley hustle, hustle, hustle thing. Because frankly, I'm, I'll burn out in five seconds doing that. I'm 43 years old. I just don't have that drive. And the work I want to do isn't going to be accomplished in the short term. I, I see myself as laying a foundation for something that will continue generations after I'm gone, which is like a different way of living in the world, kind of like the one you found. So I'm not in a rush. And I want to make sure I have the energy to do this for 20, 30 more years. That's a di different way of looking at entrepreneurship, of creating something also... The second part of what you said, creating something that's going to exist beyond you. Because it's one thing when you're when you're in a corporate job and you're a cog in the wheel and then you move into entrepreneurship and you are the wheel. You, way, you are right? the wheel. And you get to decide where that wheel goes and how big the wheel is. Um, I could really torture that metaphor, but that's, that's the shape <laughs> of it. So let's talk a little more about storytelling. Um, one thing I see as I talk to entrepreneurs is this struggle that you were saying about even embracing the word entrepreneur. And beyond that, uh, I also see struggles around being able to define their brand and what they do and tell the story of the, of the business that they run as well as their own story. How important do you, do you think storytelling is in today's world for business success? Very important. I think it's very important. I, you know, it's so funny. All of these, uh, all the research thing, like Harvard Business Review and Google and whatever, they all say storytelling is the number one leadership skill of the next decade, next millennia, next whatever. And none of them tell you how to do it. They just say, oh, it's so important and you have to have a good story. And so folks who are striking out on their own, call them entrepreneurs or just people, get stuck in this thing of knowing that story is so important. But the examples they have of it tend to follow the following template. Uh, I wasn't doing well. I was, in, I was in bad shape. I was sleeping on my grandmother's couch. And then I thought, I bet there's lots of other people with couches. I wonder if they'd want to rent them out. And so I built an application and now it's Airbnb and I'm a billionaire, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the template. But that's not everybody's story, right? And so for entrepreneurs looking to tell their story, the most common mistake I see is that they jump to branding way too soon without saying, oh, what is the kernel of urgency? What is the deeper purpose that is personal to me that wants to be shared? And how does my brand or my offering grow from that? As opposed to, okay, here's who else is in the market and I have to get this market segment and I've got to do this because that story won't stick. We're too saturated in it. Nobody will, nobody will buy it. So it's the difference between your authentic story of your why, essentially, to borrow Simon Sinek's term, and the story you think people need to hear to want your product or service. Yeah, and the tricky thing is it goes even deeper than the why to the who. 
to who what? you are. And Wait. what? <laughs> and that's where you need like a great deal of courage to do this kind of storytelling. Because what you're essentially saying is like, here's who I am. And because of who I am, I think that this is important, whatever this is, whether it's dating or whatever. I, so I agree with you. However, yes, I just have to say, as a woman of color, mm -hmm. many times we were told your story does not belong out in front. You can't talk about your kids in your business. You can't talk about um, the struggles of being a person of color or being a woman or any of that. This is a big cultural shift. Huge. It's huge. I was just doing a, a workshop for about 130 um, social entrepreneurs as part of a conference. And, you know, that question came up from this amazing woman from Nigeria who has been going to funders and, you know, has been saying she gets in the room and immediately gets pigeonholed as a certain kind of person because of being female, being dark skinned and being from Africa. Right. So she doesn't even get a chance to tell her story. And so you've hit on uh, my super secret thing, which is this whole storytelling thing is really a Trojan horse because what I'm really interested in is deeper social change. That's it. And so it's not just about training entrepreneurs to be better storytellers. It's about training investors and training funders and training consumers to say, you know what? Everybody's story is important because that's how we create a more inclusive society. How do we do it? This is a huge question. Yep. But how do you see that change happening? Slowly. <laughs> And one story at a time. So I do this, I've done these beautiful exercises. I won't even call it an exercise. It's a thing. You get people together, but <laughs> from all sorts of different backgrounds, right? I've done it with lawyers and ex-convicts and uh, gang members from different gangs, inmates in prison. And you basically get them in a circle and you create a structure where it's safe for them to share their story and be heard. And it's an extraordinarily simple thing. It takes about 20 minutes. And you watch people change. You watch their faces change as they both take in somebody else's experience and have their own received without any judgment and without any fear of being interrupted. The hardest people I work with are business people because they're not having it. They are very much in this very hardcore, it is not safe to be human belief system. But the impact of it, particularly for women of color, is that Within organizations and meetings, they are so used to, and this is what they've told me, starting to speak and just waiting to be interrupted, right? And so there's never a sense of being able to share fully. So the impact of being in these circles and saying, you're going to have four minutes to share a story or do whatever you want. And what the rules say is nobody else can talk. You're holding the, they use a the talking piece. You're holding this talking piece. Nobody else can talk. Is, is It's insane how powerful that can be for people. Michael is not the only person who realizes how powerful storytelling is. UPenn recently conducted a study where people of marginalized groups and non-marginalized Americans were asked to tell their personal stories. In this study, they were actually forced to sit and listen, then summarize to each other what they heard. No surprise, this fostered a better understanding and personal relationship within the assigned partners and created more sympathy overall for each other's struggles. It's called contact therapy. That said, storytelling is a powerful way to create the infrastructure for understanding who you are and how your story relates to your business's community. So how do you create a business out of that? There's nothing new about what I'm doing. I mean, I learned <laughs> a lot of it from improv classes in theater school where 
it really is all about deep listening and how can you be compassionate uh, with all sorts of different characters and people. But the moment that this business started, I was at a, a, it wasn't fancy, it was fancy people around a table having pizza and beer and it was all social entrepreneurs. And some of them just like worked with the White House and someone, I mean, they were doing amazing stuff. And I had just gotten back from my super spiritual journey and was, was unemployed, but very aligned. And so everybody's going around just sharing about their amazingness. And it got to me and I just looked at everyone and went, hey, I'm Michael. I work with you know, people just like you to help you discover and harness the power of your stories to create change. I had never said that before. And I don't even, it had been gestating for a while. And I said it and there was just silence. And I went, oh, I just screwed that up. All right, I'm just going to have pizza. And then suddenly they were all saying, can, can we have your card? That's exactly what we need. We're doing amazing things, but nobody's hearing our story. And I didn't have a card because I just made that up. And uh, so I ran home and I made a website and I emailed them and then I had clients. And then I started figuring out how to do what I said I did. <laughs> and part of it was I had a natural capacity for it. And then over time, through a lot of trial and error, I've put together these programs that incorporate really old school, like ancient ways of interaction with the latest cutting edge science and you know all of that stuff because people need to hear it. But the idea is just how do we peel away the layers of crud that have built up and be more human with ourselves and each other? That's really profound. And I can see why people need help with that. But what you did required such bravery. And I find that as I'm talking to entrepreneurs in so many different kinds of businesses, there's always that moment where you have to go out on a limb. Sometimes there's there are many moments where you have to go out on a limb and declare something, like declare that you have this thing or you're building this thing or you are this thing. Mm-hmm. How do you even begin to get the strength to be able to open your mouth and say that? So it's so if it's not true, you know, right, right, yes. right. so yeah. it's it's so interesting because for me, the only part that felt like it needed courage was quitting my job, my last the last full time job I had, because that was terrifying because that I mean, the belief underneath that was the moment I do this, I will become homeless and addicted to drugs. Totally irrational. And yet that was that was the belief. It's like, oh, this is going to happen. And I'm going to be like that guy who had asked me what I had accomplished today. Once I did that, everything else felt not inevitable, but natural. So the first time I taught a a breathwork class, which is a form of meditation, I just kind of stepped into it and went, well, if I'm here, it's because I'm supposed to be here. And if these people are here in the class, it's because they're supposed to be here. And we're going to figure this out together. So as I think about it, it's less courage and more more humility going like, I'm going to say this, and then people are going to come, and we're going to figure this out together. And we're going to help each other get through this life game. And then over time, that sort of builds into a methodology. But it never, apart from that first moment, it never felt that terrifying to step into these various things. You have been certified as a coach by the International Coach Federation, and you're a certified breathwork facilitator. I find a lot of people struggling with certifications, qualifications, especially as entrepreneurs. You're building something, in many cases, that's never been built before, and then people want to see your credentials and why you deserve to be there. Did you feel like it was, why did you feel it was important for you to get those certifications? And do you feel like they were crucial tools for you and your business? I didn't feel like it was at all 
uh, crucial for me to get certified, but it, I felt like it was crucial for me to gain the tools I got through those programs. So I started the breathwork certification because as a practice, it was something that was extremely useful and powerful for me. And I wanted to share it with other people. And that happened to lead to a certification. With coaching, that came up because as I was working with people on their stories, and particularly, it's interesting you brought this up, women of color, there would come a point where sometimes their throats would literally close up and they wouldn't be able to speak or they'd lose track of words. And these are all uh, hallmarks of trauma, trauma responses. Or a narrative would come up like, I would hear them, them say the most amazing story and then you go, oh, nobody cares about that. This isn't good. And I'd be like, what is going on here? And I muddled through it, but I, I had a very incomplete tool, tool set at first. And so the coaching certification was really a path to helping people navigate that. That said, nobody's ever asked me if I'm a certified coach. Nobody's asked me if I'm a certified breathwork healer. So the certifications themselves, unless I want to work with a, like a law firm or something, that's, gonna, that's what they look for. I don't think they're that important. And I think that there, unfortunately, is a cottage industry that's sprung up of people offering BS certifications to entrepreneurs. And you don't mean Bachelor of Science. I don't mean Bachelor of Science. <laughs> BS, not Bachelor of Science, right? But because a lot of entrepreneurs don't feel like they're enough already. They don't feel like they're certified to do whatever it is they're offering. And so there's all of these, there's so many people willing to take your money to give you a certificate that in many cases doesn't, mean a lot, like they created it on the internet and printed off like it's not a real thing it's more about like what is the experience you're offering people what is the transformation you can offer than it is about a piece of paper i think a lot of entrepreneurs are starting out they're like i don't know what i'm doing i don't know where i'm where i'm necessarily headed with this i just know i want to do this or i need to do this right now what would say success to you with this business with the, the mission that you have in your life right now? That's a great question. I'm going to use this as, as like my New Year's review tool. So thank you. This is, this is great. Um, success for me first feels like alignment and expansiveness in my body because that's what I've come to use as my compass of, oh, okay, you're on the right track, right? So there's a feeling of like my shoulders going back and a feeling of solidity in my body is one metric. The other metric is, am I financially thriving? So not just paying my rent, not just you know making all my payments, but am I doing well enough that I can put savings away and I can have my retirement account because nobody didn't do, do all of those things and I have specific numbers for that. And the other one is like, am I being of the deepest service possible to the right people? Are, are there hard metrics that you're looking at? Yeah, I look at monthly income, I look at cash flow, I look at all of that. But the question is never, do I go forward or do I stop? The question is, okay, I didn't hit my metric. I didn't hit my goal. What needs to adjust in order to hit it, right? So it's not a black and white thing. It's always iterative. Mm -hmm. And then once I feel aligned, I go like, okay, great. What is the next metric of success, right? Whether that's financial or, okay, I've worked with this kind of person. What happens if I expand out and work with different teams? What happens if I stretch outside of this geographical area? So what's next for you? Such a good question. So <laughs> I'm pivoting pretty pretty hard in the work right now, although externally it will look the same. The internal pivot is towards really throwing most of my energy around working with teams and organizations 
because I did, when I was doing my year-end review, I looked at the amount of time and energy I've been spending on sort of smaller workshops and getting uh, one-on-one coaching clients and healing work. And that's about been 80% of my energy. And it's been accounting for approximately 20% of my income. And the organizational stuff has just been coming to me kind of organically through word of mouth. And that's accounted for 80% of my income. And so I had this brilliant idea. What if I swap that? What if I put energy and attention on the organizational stuff and allowed the healing work to just organically happen? So I'm not giving up anything, but I am shifting pretty profoundly where I'm, where I'm placing my energy. Quite I'm, literally, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. It's just, it, it, I was like, oh, that's why it's called the 80-20 rule. I mean, it really, that's just about how the math worked out. If you're struggling with deciding where to allocate your resources, consider the 80-20 rule as a guide. This principle states that 20% of your efforts account for 80% of your results. Michael uses a four-quadrant matrix to help him figure out the areas that require less effort but yield bigger results for him. A matrix that I use to make sure that my work is aligned, and it basically has four quadrants. One is high mission, high money. So those are the things I do that are very aligned and pay me a lot. The other one is uh, high mission, low money, things that are very aligned and oh, make so much money. <laughs> and then there's uh, low mission, high money, which would be some of those corporate gigs where I'm like, I don't like these people. I don't like what I'm, they're hiring me to do. But I do like this check. But I do like this check. And then there's the low mission, low money, which are things that we do usually because we're scared not to like stuff uh-huh. that we've been doing for a long time and just feel like we need to keep doing it. And I, when I put all the stuff that I'm doing in those quadrants, the challenge is, okay, I don't want to judge any of it because it's all stuff I'm doing, but it helps me see where the imbalances are. That's the exercise I use to say, oh, I need to pivot where my energy is going right now. Um, I find that, especially for people who are doing more than one thing, to be so, so valuable. So is it just you in the business or do you have other facilitators? Right now it's just me and I have associates who I work with on larger projects and a lot of partnerships because a lot of what I do, I do fairly intuitively. Like there's a structure to it and then when it's time to throw the structure away, I just throw it away and feel into what the group needs. So what would it look like to create a methodology and bring other people into it is something that's really interesting to me and I think that's probably two to three years out. That's a hard thing to do when you've designed your business around you and what you offer. And like you said, you have the structure, but then you get there and it changes. It's the same thing in my business. And trying to put a framework around that so that it's repeatable and you can, you can amplify your reach by, by creating a system that other people can also follow and execute. And it's tricky. And I, I'm sure the same is true in your work. Like a lot of it is dependent on my personality and the energy that I bring into a room when I'm facilitating. How can you make the framework specific enough to be useful and replicable and also broad enough that people can bring their own energy to it and don't try to be like a mini Demona or a mini Michael? That would be an awful thing, right? Especially if you're you're trying yeah. to do storytelling and have people be authentic. They they can't be replicating what you're doing. Exactly. So that's that's a challenge too is you, that's a growth challenge, right, for you because it has to still be authentic to your brand, but it can't be can't be your stories. It can't be your exact experience. Exactly, and something that I'm learning is not to rush it. But for service oriented entrepreneurs, there's a a rush to create a package 
and then get out there and then immediately start selling a thing, like whatever, whatever your package is. And a lot of times they're missing a lot of really beautiful nuance and opportunity to develop their own skill set and their own particular way of dancing with their work gets missed in the rush to create a product and start telling the story of it and attract and getting money. When you actually have to have cash flow, you actually have to have a product that you're offering to even get to that next step. Right. And so the dirty little secret that isn't dirty or really a secret, we just haven't talked about it yet, is that for the first, I've been doing this nine years now, so the first like six and a half years of my business, the bulk of my income came from grant writing and freelance writing. It didn't come from any of the stuff we're talking about. Like I did get some money from it, but I wasn't ready to step into it fully. And there was a specific moment where I went, oh, you know what? This is the time where all of that that I've been using to subsidize my income, that goes away. And I'm going to trust that the money will come from this work that is more fully aligned. It's a big leap of faith. That was another scary moment now that I think. Okay, so there have been scary moments along the way, <laughs> for sure. For a lot of entrepreneurs, we don't immediately start doing our dream job. I wrote a ton of dating profiles as a side hustle for years before I officially incorporated. And even since then, I've supplemented my income in many ways that you cannot tell just by looking at my website. But everything I've done gives me the experience and tools I need to keep my business going. Here's Michael on his favorite tips and tools. One is Insight Timer, which is a free meditation app that I love so much. There's guided meditations. There's, I just use it as a timer. But one of the things I love is like when you're done with your meditation for the day, it says, hey, these people have been meditating near you and you click on them and it sends them a little message. It says, thank you for meditating with me today. <laughs> and it's so lovely. Like when I come out of my meditation, I open up, there's like 10 messages for me from random people from all over the world. And it's seems so cheesy, but it's it's so heartwarming and it makes me realize, oh, there's people, this practice is supported all over the world, and it's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. Michael's second tool is at-home breathwork. I actually got to experience how powerful it is in studio. Want to give it a try? It's so simple that the power of it takes people by surprise. So what's happening is you're fully relaxing your body. You're filling it with oxygen. And as that relaxation happens, all of the places in our body where we may be holding uh, pent-up emotion or pent-up energy start to release because we we develop dysfunctional breathing patterns to not breathe into those areas, right? And so if I'm breathing into my belly and my chest, I'm taking breath into my entire torso and it's getting into those places where the emotions are and those emotions can release. So it can be a very uh, physically gentle and emotionally intense experience for folks. For beginners, what are some exercises that they can do totally. to either use breath work or even just some um, exercises to shift the mental state that they may be in that's keeping them blocked in their business? Two super easy ones. The first is just sitting, putting your feet flat on the ground. Um, and let's actually do this one. We'll, okay. we'll do it together and you okay. tell me how it feels, all right? Um, Am I going to start crying, Michael? I don't know. If, if you are, I'm here for you. You're, <laughs> you're all happen. good. I've got you. So we're just going to inhale for a count of six, and we're going to exhale for a count of six. Okay. And I'll count, and listeners can do it with us. Here we go. So ready? And inhale. Two, three, four, five, six. Exhale. One, two, three, 
four, five, six. We're going to do it again. Inhale. Two, three, four, five, six. And exhale. Two, three, four, five, and six. How you doing? I almost lost it on that second one. <laughs> yeah. So it what that that is the ideal pace of breathing. Six in, six out, right? And most of us never breathe that deliberately and consciously. So what that's signaling the brain is that it's the body is safe and your body can relax. And when your body relaxes, if you've been stressed and holding on to stuff, it can come out. So for entrepreneurs who get to that place of spinning and panic and, oh my gosh, where's the rent going to come from? If you just take two minutes or a minute and a half or whatever, and you do that, inhale for six, exhale for six, three or four times, then it will help you come back to a centered place, which is always a better place to make decisions from. Here's your first homework. Breathe. I'm not just saying this because I live in LA and I'm into some kind of unorthodox hippie practices. I mean, I am, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Meditation and breath work really make a difference for your body. It's science. Don't forget to implement Michael's other great takeaways from today's episode. Remember the 80-20 rule and put your efforts where you're getting the most results. Storytelling isn't just for kids. Get out there and make yourself heard. It's good for your mental health and for your business. There's no shame in supplementing your income in different ways. If you're making a living, you're doing it right. And I've said it a few times, but I'll say it again. Remember to breathe. Check out Michael's book, Story Maps, Wayfinding Tools for the Modern Seeker. You can find all of his resources and many of his online courses and coaching opportunities at storyandspirit.com. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. Want to know more about how you can save hours on accounting paperwork and focus more on your business? Head over to freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L to receive an exclusive offer. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arizmendi. And I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. I would love to connect with you. I am at Demona Hoffman on all of the socials or at demonahoffman.com. And if you're looking for a connection right now with others in a similar circumstance, please join our Facebook community page at facebook.com slash I make a living. And you can share your experience there. To kick things off, we've brought together business leaders and customers to share what they're going through during this time. And don't forget to breathe through the stress because it's your business. See you next week.